0: This is the the Woke Daisy.
1: Welcome back to 12 Days of TWD, guys. We, Anika and Nehal, are glad to be back here with you just before the holidays and to talk about all things South Asian in many bits before we go away until the new year. Today's episode is sort of a passionate one for me. Nehal and I frequently talk about how we want to be moms one day, right? And I'm approaching the time in my life rapidly where I feel really ready. And part of that is because of my experience as an early education teacher, and one of the things that I wish every parent was required to do is work with kids before they actually have them. And there's so many things that I never appreciated before working with babies, one-year-olds, and two-year-olds. I had various classrooms of each of those ages. And they're in these super critical developmental years, right? Like the go from being a little potato that can't move to learning how to lift their neck, something that most of us take for granted and it really hurts, and then to crawl and to sit up and to stand. And sometimes it goes in that order. Sometimes they completely skip those steps. It's kind of crazy how fast they develop and how much they change.
0: Then there's solid foods, parenting, sleeping patterns, breastfeeding, and so many other decisions that need to be made. I'm not ready to be a mom yet, but thinking about it makes my head explode. It blows my mind that women have to make all these hard decisions for their kids. And dads, we're not counting you out, but parenting is Freaking hard.
1: One of the things that I saw most often in my classroom, and that's dealing with about 75 to 100 kids over the course of my career and watching them grow through the stage, is mommy shaming.
0: It was something we felt like we had to talk about in today's episode. A CBS article said in 2017 that over 60% of women are mommy shamed. And with all the different studies and information that comes out, it's probably even higher now in 2019. Major areas of the criticism include discipline, diet and nutrition. Sleep, breast versus bottle feeding, safety, and child care, with discipline being number one.
1: The criticism usually comes from the mother's own parent, not a surprise, (laughs) a spouse or child's other parent, and in-laws. And that basically sums up the entire majority of where these moms get their criticisms from. Now, the one thing that we heard about the most and that we read about the most is breastfeeding. So breastfeeding is pretty, is, is obviously natural. Moms typically produce milk, but sometimes that amount just isn't enough to sustain a child. And there's not much a mother can do besides take supplements or change some of her habits and hope to God that her body cooperates because milk ducts also shrink with time sometimes. And so it's almost a race against the clock. And sometimes when that just isn't enough, moms will have to turn to formula. And that also includes moms who work. Sometimes moms don't get the time to be able to breastfeed. Sometimes it's a personal choice. They just don't want to. The World Health Organization recommends children in developing countries where nutrition is low are breastfed until the age of five. It's kind of crazy to hear about that because that age sounds so high, but Formula still contains the same nutrients, and it's actually a really great substitute for breast milk. A baby may not get antibodies, like if the mom gets a flu or bacterial infection. She can transfer those antibodies to her baby, and she can protect her child. But there's not really any bad parts to feeding a child formula. They're still getting the same nutrients. They're still getting the milk that they desperately need to grow. And there isn't any massive, huge difference, at least not one that's been scientifically proven over and over again.
0: But even breastfeeding moms aren't off the hook. Whether they cover up or whether they're exposed has been an issue for ages. Minnesota actually had to pass a law to defend the women's rights to breastfeed their children. Keep in mind, young children can only be sustained by milk, formula, or breast milk, typically six months. Though parents can start introducing solid foods, they still need to go towards milk. And it's kind of outrageous that breasts that are being used to feed these babies are only seen as sexual organs. Women even shame women, saying that they should cover up because men will stare and men will feel uncomfortable sometimes. Why? It's not sexual. And you know who is the perfect example of this? Chrissy Teigen. Chrissy Teigen has told everyone that stop shaming her when she's breastfeeding. And she recently actually posted a photo with her younger son, Miles, and he had formula and he was drinking from a bottle and people started shaming her. Then why is she using formula?
1: Oh, that's so ridiculous. And it's really sad, too, because not only... Do women shame each other, but there's just such serious mom shame about breastfeeding versus formula, as if formula is less than and a mom who doesn't breastfeed isn't a good mom, which is bullshit, or that a breastfeeding mom is just this anal retentive person who could only, you know, be the natural way and automatically hates a formula feeding mom. And that's not necessarily the case. And there's all this hate pitted against each other, and it's so not deserved. And More than that, a child who's in the U.S. typically weans off breastfeeding around the age of one. Like preschools and doctors usually suggest introducing cow's milk, but you really don't have to switch from breastfeeding completely until you're ready. So a lot of moms will like do it at night before they put their child to sleep. And that can be when a child is two or three. And while that may be uncommon, that's often shame too. It's like we can't stand anyone who does something that isn't within a certain window of time. So I've seen people completely shame moms for breastfeeding kid children who are maybe two years old because they're like, oh, well, they bite. And if they can say their name, they shouldn't be breastfeeding. But honestly, it's up to a mom and a child and how comfortable they feel. And most kids will naturally wean off anyway.
0: And also a lot of the times I've seen kids who just won't take the nipple. And so moms have to do it as a last resort and they don't even want to do it. They have to do it. And so why are they getting shamed when it's not something that they can control?
1: There's so much science that goes into breastfeeding and it really blows my mind. And a lot of moms feel so much guilt because they're not able to breastfeed their child when they want to. Or if they don't want to, they're made to feel really bad because they didn't. And it needs to stop because what? hopefully whatever a mother does for her child, it's so that that child thrives and so that that child survives. And whether it's formula or whether that it's breast milk, we should definitely lay off making women feel bad for whatever choice they make or whatever the situation kind of forces them to do. We don't know the full story.
0: I completely agree. Another thing that has been a huge argument in the South Asian society is co-sleeping. And a funny story, actually, I still sometimes sleep in my parents' bedroom. And growing up, I actually slept with my parents until the age of, I think, 14 or 15 because I just loved sleeping next to them. I felt comfort and safe and security.
1: I really can't blame you, but co-sleeping has just been such an argument. The American Academy of Pediatrics usually suggests room sharing for at least the first six months to a year which is different than co-sleeping in the sense that you're not sleeping on the same surface. You just have the baby in the room. And they usually say to do that for six months to a year so that parents can potentially catch any issues, like a child not breathing or smothering themselves in their sleep. Because, unfortunately, SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, is like something that can happen to babies abruptly. And the the recommended ways to protect from it are to lay a baby on its back. There is this campaign called Back to Sleep.
0: (laughs) Haha, funny. (laughs) Or, yeah, (laughs) or
1: to, you know, until the baby can roll over, which is when they've kind of developed sort of the the protective, you know, like protective instincts against it. Or to let them sleep on a harder surface. Like crib mattresses are not particularly soft. And to let them sleep without a pillow, without any blankets. And putting the baby in our own beds can counter that recommendation. Our mattresses are softer. We have pillows. We have blankets. And so it just doesn't work properly according to the recommendations.
0: There are supporters and critics to co-sleeping, and some of the supporters have said that it makes for a more convenient nine-time nursing. It may help the baby get back to sleep faster after feedings and sleep for longer stretches because they're right there next to you. It may help put moms sleeping more in sync with the babies because of the breathing and the heartbeat techniques. And it can also give parents some more time with their babies, especially if they don't see them much during the day. I know moms who work all day, they only get a certain amount of time to hang out with their child. But a key component of attachment parenting for those practicing it, which promotes physical closeness as a way of forming close emotional bonds. A lot of times babies are not emotionally connected and there are techniques for that, like holding your baby close to your chest when you're naked and just cradling them so you become emotionally close and co-sleeping is just one of those techniques.
1: But critics also cite a number of downsides to co-sleeping, and that's that, once again, it increases the risk of SIDS two to threefold, and you can benefit just as much from room sharing, which is considered completely safe. It also means less shut eye for parents who probably won't sleep as well with the baby right next to them if they're worried about rolling over onto him or her. It can also potentially lead to less sleep for the baby, even though some supporters say that bed sharing babies sleep longer. You may even wake up or try to tend to like every little cry and every little whimper when you're right next to each other all night. And babies who sleep in a family bed may have more trouble transitioning to a crib. And there's less intimacy for parents. I mean, there's nothing that's going to kill the mood more, right, than having a baby sleep next to you. But the reason that we're bringing all of this up is because South Asians often co sleep in the same bed. Many of us, if we asked our parents, would say that they slept in the same bed with us while they raised us. And that's just something that's controversial now. It's kind of a science versus culture thing. Would you co-sleep with your baby?
0: I still do it. (laughs) I'm going to sleep with my baby. I'm going to sleep with my baby for as long as I want because I love my baby who's not born yet.
1: (laughs) I think we all change our minds about things once we actually have children. So you never know. But I've thought about the same thing before.
0: I mean, one of the things we were just talking about was breastfeeding and, you know, how people look at people differently when you're breastfeeding in public. Would you breastfeed in public? For me, I I have don't have a baby and I am totally okay when people do that. But I think for me as a person who just kind of is uncomfortable around these public situations, I don't think I would do it. I feel like my nipples are something that are private and breastfeeding is an intimate and private experience that I want to have with my child.
1: So would you cover yourself up?
0: I would cover myself up and still do it in public. But I'm saying that, you know how some women are able to completely free the nipple? I just don't think I have it in me to do that.
1: The fate of a futuristic desert kingdom rests in the hands of a princess desperate for power and an assassin with a dark secret in The Phoenix King by Varma a novel smoldering with politics, romance, morally gray characters, magic, and technology in an immersive Indian-inspired science fantasy world. This book from Hachette Book Group features jaw-dropping world-building, slow-burn romance, badass female queens, and gorgeous interior art. The Phoenix King was previously self-published as The Boy With Fire in August of 2021, but Orbit's newly revised and edited edition, complete with a new title, has been released, and both the book and author are wildly popular on TikTok. It was also named one of the best new fantasies of 2023 by Pace Magazine, io9, and PopSugar. And it was named an Amazon best science fiction and fantasy of September slash an editor's pick. Check it out now at the links in our episode notes. Hmm, that makes sense. I think that, of course, as people who aren't moms, we are... Kind of putting our place of uh, putting ourselves in a place where we that we might not understand. So oh, yeah. all of you moms who are listening are totally welcome to laugh at us because we definitely come with opinions that will likely change. Um, but know that we aren't judging you for your habits either.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. This is just my personal opinion because God knows what's going to happen when I have a kid. I'll be like, okay, my baby needs milk. I'm pulling out the <laughs> I nipple. Just, you know,
1: in that situation, who knows? Like sometimes you you just need to feed your child, right? Like that t- in that moment, your child takes priority over anything else. And so, you know, you know, that's just something that everybody gets used to. The funny thing is, is as sexually repressed as India is sometimes, people are a lot more open with breastfeeding in public than they are here.
0: Oh, interesting. I did not know that.
1: Have you ever really noticed? I mean, I think that that's more of a personal anecdote, but I feel like I've seen a lot more women openly feed their children back home in India than I've ever seen in the U.S.
0: I will keep an eye for that when I go to India next time. Look out for the breastfeeders.
1: (laughs) The other thing that's really interesting for me is whenever I go to grocery stores now and I watch how parents shop or when I was teaching and we used to have to prep lunches for the kids – And a lot of parents are obviously getting into organic foods because that's just been a really big deal. It's been a rising trend in the last decade or so. And the idea of making all of your child's food from scratch, using the freshest ingredients, prepping everything in the most healthy way, it's kind of a point of contention amongst moms.
0: Why shouldn't it be? You're feeding your kids the best stuff and keeping them healthy. But organic foods also are really expensive and it's privilege and it shames mom who may not have the time, skills, resources, or interest in feeding their kids organic vegetables or potato chips they bake themselves and make them feel like a lesser mom.
1: Another thing that can make people feel like a lesser mom, pacifiers, potty training, and how you bathe your kid. You know, when I was a, when I was a teacher, there was our, – our classroom used to work with children who weren't potty trained and children who were on their way to, to becoming potty trained. Let me tell you it was an adventure. However, I can say that typically they say in preschool settings anyway that a child should be potty trained by the age of three. And a lot of parents will be like, well, pacifiers shouldn't be used because they make your child's teeth wonky and they create a dependency and whatnot. But that's an argument I've heard. And those are things that I might have even said on my own. But shaming a mom for these things simultaneously shames a child's development. What if they think a pacifier or a blanket is really giving them comfort in a really tough moment whenever they're crying? Or what if a child isn't ready to be potty trained? What if they don't understand the signs of their body having to go yet? Then you're just basically saying, mom, you failed because your child is apparently behind, even though they probably really aren't.
0: What about vaccinations? Do you give your child vaccine or don't give your child vaccine?
1: Oh, my gosh. As a healthcare professional, I get so angry. I get so angry. And it's only because people who usually support anti-vax or not vaccinating your children usually make a link between autism and vaccines, which was proven multiple times to be a false study and the doctor who actually created lost his license. So the fact of the matter is, it's just a ridiculous argument that really doesn't have a whole lot of proof. And the thing is, it's that there are children who are immunocompromised, like children with cancer, for example, or children who are recovering from diseases that have to take drugs that kind of wipe their immune system. And they have severe allergies. And sometimes doctors recommend these children either not to get vaccines yet because they aren't ready for them or to adjust the vaccination schedule. So you're not getting like three vaccines at your doctor's appointment when you're a baby or whatever. And they have to kind of schedule it a little bit differently. And getting vaccinations protects those kids because those kids don't have the immune systems to be able to fight these diseases. So when you give everybody around you the immunity so that they don't have the same, like they won't catch those same diseases, you're getting herd immunity and you're protecting these kids. Whereas when an anti-vax kid comes along, because their parents think that they're going to catch some disease by actually getting vaccinated, they may actually catch that disease and then give it to the kids who couldn't get the vaccines because their actual health like, wouldn't let them. So it's just this awful cycle. And it just makes me so, so angry and so passionately, aggressively. Like, I can't argue the stupidity in anti-vaxxing. I just, like, I can't deal with it.
0: Clearly, you're getting really worked up right now, as I can see. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm like turning red. I'm as bright as a tomato. And I'm just like, oh, my God, stupid people. But, you know, I mean, vaccinations are one of those things that it's proven. Just protect it. And, you know, protect your child, protect society, vaccinate your kids if you're able to and if your child isn't, you know, actually physically unable to take it. But, you know, it's just something else. And that is a mommy shaming thing. I will happily shame any mother who doesn't vaccinate their children just because that is one thing that I will I will openly be like, no, you can shame them.
0: Another thing is mommy shaming when it comes to working moms and stay at home moms. So you get shamed when you're working and having a career and trying to provide for your child. But then you get shamed for staying at home and just taking care of your child because What about your career? What about your aspirations? You only just gave your child your entire life. I actually
1: just read a really good book about that. I finished it last night in one sitting. Um, It's a book called Happy and You Know It. And the main story is that there's this girl who lost her rock star career and she ends up doing a play group and being like the musician who comes in for this ultra rich Upper East Side or Upper West Side kind of play group and is teaching all these babies music And she kind of pays attention to the moms and all of the different moms are struggling with giving up their career or staying at home and all the different things that women want that obviously change whenever you have a kid. So reading that was amazing because it not only put a new perspective on it, but it was also one of those things that I saw all the time where working moms would feel so guilty because they were leaving their child in the possession of strangers for eight to nine hours a day. And then stay-at-home moms, I've seen, some of, my, some of them are my very own friends, and they feel terrible because they don't get a break, but they also can't say how frustrated they are or how tired they are because everyone's like, well, you're just staying at home all day. But they're like, yeah, I'm doing laundry. I'm taking care of a puking kid all day. I can't get space from this child that's screaming its head off. And I'm also taking care of the house, and it's all unpaid.
0: I mean, that goes just back to the concept of can women have it all, which is a whole another conversation on its own. But uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom for most of my life, and I do think being a stay-at-home mom has its benefits. I mean, coming home from school and getting a warm lunch or snack every day, like, I will never forget that. And I think I'm closer to my mom because of that. And now she's working as well, so I think it just depends on timing, and I don't think any mom should be shamed for what priority they choose at the time, but I think women can have it all.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the thing is is that working is also not always – or not working is not always an option. Sometimes women quit their jobs and stayed home because being on one income was still saving more money than paying for daycare. Or – you know, people work because they can't make ends meet or they have to, or they have student loans or whatever. And there's just so many other things that tie into staying at home or working. And I feel like in my perfect world, I'd probably be a stay-at-home mom who's a full-time writer who I would have the best of both worlds. But at the same time, you know, who knows what's actually going to happen, what the requirements are going to be when I actually have a child. And, you know, I think it's so horrible for people to shame moms who are working or who are staying at home. Do you know how much work they do? My mom was a stay-at-home mom and she never got paid for a day of it obviously. And she,
0: I actually don't remember her ever taking a break. They don't sit. My mom doesn't sit. She just is on her feet all the time. And even when I'm watching TV or sitting on the couch and ask her to sit with me, she has a million things to do. And that goes along also with Sas-Bahu relationships in the South Asian culture, because a lot of them put pressure on the daughter and mother-in-law relationship for this perfection role. Keep in mind, the mother-in-law can be shaming the daughter-in-law about working or not working again.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, it's one of those things now, especially because women do work so often that this older generation is like, really? You're working? You're going back to work? Really? And at the same time, it's like, oh, you're not staying at home. But then if you do stay at home, then it's like, oh, well, you're not working. You're not a modern woman. And I think that there's so much pressure to be all the things in all the roles all the time. And sort of stereotypical who relationship is, is rough on it. And I
0: and I'm saying it's not even just to stay at home or working and stuff. It's for everything. Maybe they did something a different way growing up, like the grandma or the b- sauce. And so they're trying to implement it on the child. So a perfect example of this So a perfect example of this is getting a mundan. Maybe the mom doesn't want to do a mundan or a shaving head ceremony to their child because they want to protect the child's head. They don't care about the religious value to it. They don't think anything is a big deal. But then their mommy shamed for not doing that religious value.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, you know, whether it's feeding their child at a different age or whether it's, you know, all of that, that shame is definitely prominent in our culture. I mean, we always shame women anyway for whether it's getting assaulted, getting raped, getting, you know, feeling depressed for any one of those things for men and for women. We just shame so much stuff. And this is one of those things I think that women get the short end of the stick on. You know, you're always shamed in the way that you parent. And the thing that really gets to me about that is that men aren't quite shamed as often, which is not to man-hate at all, but the one thing that I know bothers me so much is whenever dads say that they're babysitting, good God, sir, you helped create that baby. You are not babysitting your own child. You are being a father.
0: That's hilarious. I've actually heard that term so many times by parents. Like, oh, I have to babysit the children. You're not babysitting. That's your child. It took
1: two to do the naked dance in bed, sir. <laughs> you know, and I'm just sitting there and I'm always like, why did you just say that? Why did you just say that you were babysitting your children? You had a hand in making them and therefore you are not babysitting. You are being a father. Oh, God, it's such a pet peeve. And the other pet peeve that I have is that. Which is, is, is actually, funnily enough, a weakness of mine is I still use Pinterest. Yes, I realize I'm like a decade behind still, but it has some really cool ideas. And one of the things when it really kicked off was all the little cool, creative things you could do for your kid's class, you know, like make cupcakes with faces on them or, you know, make treat bags that have all these magical art projects and stuff in them and do all these really crazy things. But some moms just don't have the time and just don't care. And it's so funny and so horrible about how people judge how good a mom is based on how much effort she puts in on her projects or if she can make all the parent organizations or the PTA meetings or if she's baking handmade organic snacks for the entire class on your child's birthday versus buying a store-bought packet of cupcakes or making all of their projects look printer worthy like that shouldn't be the definition of a caring mother. It's just sad. And it. I feel like it's been happening so much, that pif- picture-perfect mom. And that's just not the case. I, I know for a fact that when I'm a mom, I'll probably be kind of a slob.
0: Before I wrap this conversation up, I think Kristen Bell puts it really well. She actually is in the movie called Bad Moms, which is about all of this mommy shaming. But she says, I'm not a good mom. I'm not a bad mom. I'm the mom I am, and I try very hard. And when I fail, that's okay.
1: That's an awesome way of looking at it. And I think moms out there... You guys are doing your best. So if you are in it and you are giving your child everything you possibly can, then at least know that we are behind you, whether you're breastfeeding or formula feeding, whether your child is potty trained at the age of two and a half or not, and whether they can spell the alphabet by the age of three or four or five, whatever it is, you guys are doing great. Know that you're supported and know that there are probably plenty of mommies who are also experiencing the same unfortunate thing and we can all band together to stop it. Before we end the episode,
0: though, we have to do Nahal's favorite time. So rapid fire today, we're talking about babies. What is a baby name that you love? And don't worry, we won't steal each other's. <laughs> Are you sure about that? Be positive. <laughs> One of my
1: favorite boy names, funnily enough, Nahal, is actually Naveen.
0: Oh, shout out to Naveen. If you know, you know. But my baby name that I really want is Aryan.
1: Oh, my friend's baby is named Arian, and it is a great name because he is legitimately one of the cutest kids I have ever seen in my entire life.
0: Well, now you're just giving me competition, girl. (laughs) (laughs) But what is a baby brand that you're obsessed with?
1: Oh, my gosh. I could give you a list after working with my kid, like working with so many kids for so long. Um, For onesies, I love Carter's. Because they always have like these button downs and they're really easy to change babies in which is great because they're really squirmy little things and sometimes they kind of – like you'll wa- you'll watch babies wake up and like an arm is outside of their onesie and like their leg is half unbuttoned and you're just like how did you get into this state? So Carter's is definitely my favorite clothing brand and in terms of bottles, it would probably be Avent Baby Bottles by Phillips. Um, they're one of the sturdiest things I've ever seen and I love those bottles.
0: I am not really that close to researching anything baby-wise, but I know Kylie Jenner just trademarked Kylie Baby. So I think that is going to be my favorite brand.
1: Her baby is very cute, too. I have to admit that. Yeah, I have to admit that her baby is very cute. So I'm sure her line will be great.
0: Anyways, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of 12 Days of TWD. We're almost at the finish line, and it's almost Christmas. So participate on our Instagram, follow us, and talk to us. And like we always say, get woke, stay woke. This is, this is the Woke, woke Daisy.